We just thank you for today. We thank you for worship. We just pray that as Eric comes, God, that you would just open our hearts, Lord, that we can hear you, that we can hear you and we can take your word and, and store it in our heart, God. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a powerful worship service. What a powerful song. I love that. All my life you've been faithful. Uh, sometimes we have to remind ourselves. Sometimes we have to speak it out into existence. Sometimes we have to just reaffirm that. I heard someone say this week, and it really has nothing to do with my sermon today, but just why we come every single Sunday is to remind each other of these things, to reaffirm our commitment to the Lord, to remind, say, hey, sometimes in life it's easy to get down and forget, and you need people to speak truth and say, hey, listen, this is true to my life, it's true of yours. We need to share that testimony, but man, what a, what a powerful song. Thank you guys so much for leading in that. Uh, we, we are still in James. We'll be in James chapter 3 if you want to open your Bible there. We're, we're about halfway through James. Uh, some of you, if that's a sad thing, that means you've enjoyed it. If not, then we're, we're halfway through James. Uh, we're continuing through. Uh, James is just, uh, title is A Faith That Works. And uh, if you've ever wondered what it looks like, am I doing this Christian thing right? What, what, what things in my life should I be seeing? James is a book you want to read. It's just extremely practical. Here, here's certain things you can look at in your life to know whether you're getting it right or not, whether the, the, the fruit's showing up in the right way. And so James is such a great book for that. And so as we continue on, I want to ask you a question that I just want you to, with the people you're around, dialogue and answer this question real quick. Think about this. When it comes to the Christian faith, like who would you call wise and understanding? In your life, if you were someone like, man, that's a person who gets it. Like they seem to understand, they have a grasp of Christianity, they have a grasp of what it means to be Christian, of the faith, of knowledge, of whatever it is, has wisdom understanding. Who is that person you would directly, that person that pops in your mind right now, real, real quick, with the people you're sitting next to, share who it is, and then share why you chose them, like what qualities made you answer that. So take a second, look at the people next to you. If you don't know anybody next to you, make a friend today, it's a great time to do it, uh, and uh, share real quick with that answer. It is strangely quiet. It's awfully scary to me right now. You don't know, know anybody. Well, this is a good sermon today. Take it. It is strangely quiet. If I had to ask you right now, what is the one thing that annoys you about your spouse, how quickly would you be able to respond to that one? I'm curious. <laughs> now, if you're wise, you wouldn't answer it, and that really is a test right there in and of itself, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the real question with this, maybe the real challenge with this question is this, is as you begin to think, you begin to think, well, what does that mean? What, what, maybe what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Or maybe you know someone that knows a lot about Scripture, knows a lot about God, but 
How, how does that differentiate from wisdom? Is there a difference? Uh, you know, when I, when I think of wisdom and knowledge, there's tons of definitions on what, what's the difference between the two. I, I, here's kind of some things I came to just looking at. Knowledge, I would say, is the accumulation of facts and details about a subject. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the ability to practically use that information and life experience as it was intended to be put into practice. Right, let me say it like this. Knowledge can be useless. You, you can know useless facts, right, that never are applicable, never one. Wisdom can never be useless because wisdom, by definition, has to be useful. It has to be something you practically do with it. And so the question is, what, what do you do with that? To maybe help you understand a different arena would be my uh, carpentry for me. Some of you guys have heard my stories about me and my, my stepdad. Uh, my dad is a, a carpenter. He teaches at Francis Tuttle, and he's a carpentry teacher there. Uh, we, we both know some about carpentry. I know because I've just been around him. I've seen stuff he does. I, I can articulate with you. I spend enough time talking to you. With you. I, I can make you believe that I am wise when it comes to carpentry stuff. If you spend too much time with me, you'll realize that's, that's not true. Case in point, uh, a little over a year ago when Ian, our youth pastor, was here and stuff, uh, him and his wife bought a, a, a house, and they were all excited to move in. And we'd had, long story short, had this, this Nest thermostat that was laying around. They're like, hey, I want to give this to you. I, I'd love to come and hook this up at your house as a gift and stuff. And so his, his first day in his house, and I tell him, like, man, it's so easy. Like, even a caveman could do it. Like, this is not hard to hook up. But, like, anybody could do this. And it's like 100 degrees outside. He says, awesome. So I go after to his house after work to go hook up this nest thermostat. I've done it at my house before. Like, it's not hard. Like, it's, it's literally not hard at all. I hook it up, and lo and behold, it doesn't work. I can't get it turned on. I'm like, well, that's weird. It's just as simple as plugging this wire. What's going on? Like, this is, you know, I, and he's like, I thought you knew this stuff. Like, Ian, I know. And I'm, I'm sitting here trying to mess with it. Like, you just need the inline specs on the rotary girder to, you know, just making up words and stuff. I can't get it to work. And I'm like freaking out because it's 100 degrees. The house is like 90 degrees at this point. It's their first day in their house that they've owned. And I'm thinking, just put the old one on. So I put the old one back on. They can, that'll fix it. And lo and behold, the old one's not working either. And I'm like getting nervous. Very quickly, he realizes I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm like, maybe if we try flipping the light switch or something. So we're doing everything we can. We're like trying to stop, clap, whatever we can to get it. And real quickly, it becomes abundantly obvious, I don't know what I'm doing. And we're freaking out. His wife's sitting there sweating, he's sweating, the house is becoming a hot box. And I'm saying, like, I'm so sorry, I don't know what to do. So I immediately know what, what I need to do. I call my dad. I'm like, you need to come save my bacon. <laughs> like, I don't know what I did, can't figure it out. I've tried everything I can. And my dad comes over, he, he leaves what he's doing, drops what he's doing, comes over. And, and just calm, cool, collected, and says, well, let me, and he starts getting out tools, starts testing stuff, starts running through stuff, and just, he just, he's just very calm. He knows what he's doing. He starts asking questions. Have you tried this? I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Come to find out, we get in his attic, and says, this little fuse had blown. That's all it was. A little 10-cent fuse and replaced it. I got it fixed. I put it on a wall. I said, Ian, I'm never coming to your house again. I walked away. Like, I'm done. Here's the thing. Like, I could tell you information. I can tell you all sorts of stuff about it, but, but my dad is wise when it comes to carpentry skills. He knows the ins and outs. He knows everything about it. He, he has a grasp of it. And you could see it. It was palpable in the room just by his behavior, his demeanor, his attitude. It was calm and collective. He knew, like, listen, we just started to start backtracking these sort of things. You see, I could fool you and make you think, and I obviously fooled Ian into believing I knew a thing or two about carpentry. I knew a thing or two about electrical stuff uh, when YouTube had failed me. Um, I, I didn't know anything. The connection I'm trying to make is this. When it comes to Christianity, 
Like, like many have a general knowledge or information about God, but very few people have a true grasp of who God is or what he wants from us or what it looks like to live out the Christian faith. Yeah, we don't know how to practically do it. And so that's what James kind of gets at today is how, how can you tell if you grasp the faith if you truly understand it? Because here's the thing, if you don't know how to define that, you don't know what to look for, you can easily look at people and say, I'm going to chain my wagon to them and follow their example because they seem like they have their act together. They seem like they grasp it. In reality, you might be following someone that's leading you down a path that you come in and go, they have no idea what they're talking about. And then good as James tells us, like, how, how can you tell if someone's truly wise and truly grasped this, this whole thing? How can you tell? And that's what he's going to get today. James's whole book is kind of providing, if you will, a test to see if your faith is real or worthless. And last week we talked about your words, how you got to be careful because, and ask, what do your words say about you? This week is this, is what is your attitude or behavior like? Because that will expose you and tell whether or not you truly understand and have a grasp of what the Christianity is all about, the Christian faith is all about. The big idea you're going to see is this. Unnatural wisdom will elicit unnatural behavior. Confusing, stick with me. We'll, we'll, we'll make sense of it. So if you have James chapter 3, let's pick up in verse 13. We're going to read 13 through 18. As we look at what, what does your attitude and behavior say about you. It says this. It says, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it. He starts with a very question. We say, how do you know if someone's wise and understanding? He says this. He says, prove it by living in an honorable life, doing good with works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous... And there's selfish ambition in your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. See, such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. What is he talking about? He kicks off in verse 13 with this rhetorical question. Some of your versions say, well, who, who is wise and understanding among you? Like, if you're wise, like, how many of us, if we say, well, are you wise when it comes to Christian faith? If we're honest, we say, maybe not compared to some, but yeah, I feel pretty good. It's kind of like asking the old game show question, who wants to be a millionaire? I don't know anybody like, no, not me, I'm good. I'm good. Like, yeah, I would love to do that. I'd love to have that. And so he says, listen, if you consider yourself to have a grasp to understand this, then show it by your conduct, by your behavior, by how you act. That word wise there, it's the ability to view life from God's perspective. If you're truly wise, can you see from God's perspective? And can you comprehend, can you, can you understand and grasp it and wrap your mind around and say, I can come to terms with this and live at peace with how God wants me to live? Hey, he's ultimately saying this, who, who, who here grasps what it means to be Christian? Because again, if we follow the wrong examples and we say, well, I think this is what it is, and that's not how God defines it, guess which path that's going to take us to? A wrong path that we don't want to live in. And that's why you have many Christians falling down a road that they should never be in because they look at people and say, man, you seem so wise and discerning and knowledgeable and you seem like you know so much, and yet reality is that there's none of these traits that come up in their life. And so people who get it will have certain traits which he'll come to. And he says, ultimately, he says, you can tell by what? By his conduct, he says at the end of verse 13, by his humility and weakness. He's saying this, wisdom is shown, can be, can be seen in how we behave. 
and how we act, our, our attitude exposes us. Through what? Through humility and meekness. So some of your versions say gentleness in the original Greek. I love this. This word gentleness, it's used to describe a horse that someone has broken and has trained to submit to a bridle. It's pictures of strength under control, especially by that of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you have power, you have potential, you have prestige, but yet you submit that to the Lord. You have gentleness and humility. You ever met a person like that? They're like, man, when they walk into a room, man, they can carry the room, man. They, have, they just have honor and they have respect for people, have, but yet they don't use that for their own gain. They submit that to the Lord and say, God, whatever you want. That there's a meekness about them. I told you last week about my daughter's taking riding lessons. It's amazing to see this little seven-year-old girl that doesn't weigh 45 pounds soaking wet, and you put her on the power of this, 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 this mighty horse, and yet what? The horse is submissive to the will of my daughter, wherever he wants to go. It's amazing to see. Does that describe you? Does that describe you in your life, your, your behavior? And so he says that. He says, you can tell by how they act. He says it comes from wisdom. He says this. He says, but... I love butts because it always changes the situation. As a matter of fact, my daughter, my youngest one I'm just talking about, is learning how to read. And she now, every time we read through a book and she says, but, she stops and laughs and she giggles. <laughs> she gets that from me, I think. I'm like, all right, yes, you said but. Uh, not, she goes, Dad, not B-U-T-T, B-U-T, but it's still funny. I'm like, I know, but don't tell your mother that we're laughing, okay? This is not how we want to train you up. Listen, anytime you read the Bible and you come across a but, listen, I, I would almost encourage you, stop and giggle. Stop and take a second and say, what is that but there for? Because but's contrasting. It's trying to show you something different. It's saying, listen, if you think you're humble, you think you're wise, this is what it's looked like. But some of you aren't. Some of you may be looking and look at this and go, man, I got this. But in reality, you contrast like there are certain aspects that maybe you're not. I met just this week with a counselor who was talking through marriage counseling stuff as we were looking for different things for the church and whatnot. And he was telling me about this, this marriage retreat he takes people on. He says, it's amazing to see. He goes, it works well when you have couples go to a marriage retreat and they're around other couples. Because when they sit by themselves and you begin talking about flaws, they very rarely see it in themselves when they're talking out loud. But when another couple starts talking about their flaws, they quickly can point it out and quickly begin to look at themselves and go, you know what, actually, I, I think I do that same thing. And James is kind of saying, but hold on a second before you get too high on your horse and think you have everything together. He says what? He says, what's, what's the but say? He says, but if you are bitterly jealous, that word bitter like literally is like a, pudge, a strong feeling. I don't know if you're a cruel parent like me and love just when your kids were little and you have a lemon or a lime and you give it to them. You ever given a child a lemon and they take a bite of it and they're, you know? And then the funny part is like, more daddy, you know, they're doing that nasty face and you keep doing it. It's that strong feeling. It's that strong, like pungent thing going on. He's like, listen, if you have this strong bitterness, jealousy about you, and you not just have that, but you also have selfish ambition. What does he say about that? He says, if this is involved in your life, he said, um, I lost my spot in my text. There's selfish ambition in your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. He says, listen, you, you can have harbored up where? In your heart. What does that mean? It means you can have aspects in your life that no one will see. You can go around with the face and act humble and meek, but in your heart, what do you really, you find yourself jealous of other people. You're living with it. Well, why me? Why, why did they get that attention? Why don't people care about me? How, how come they got that respect and I didn't get it? 
How come people like them and not me? Those are things sometimes never come out in our repertoire in our mouth, but in our hearts we know we can hide it deep inside and be dealing with those things. He says, but if you have those things in your life, you're harboring them in your heart. He says, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. What is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, don't go around and bragging and saying, look, I have or I know or I understand the truth when in reality the truth is not in you. You say you know the gospel, you say you know Jesus Christ, and man, i got to grasp this whole thing. I understand what it means to follow Christ. I know the truth, but yet in you, truth is not reigning supreme in your heart because you have what? Selfishness. You have bitterness. You have envy of other people. Like, something's amiss. He said, don't, don't go around lying because what happens? You're going to be a bad witness. You're going to be a bad role model for the gospel. He says, you need, you need to be careful. Because you can fool people into thinking that you have your stuff together, and this is what it means to follow God and have a grasp of Christianity. But reality, you're, you're more dangerous than anyone by your lifestyle and your attitude and what's going on. And he says in verse 15, he says, For jealousy and selfishness, what? Are not God's kind of wisdom. He introduces a concept that there's, there's different kinds of wisdom in the world to be pursued. There's two kinds of wisdom. The first one, he talks about God's kind of wisdom. Where does it come from? He says, God's kind of wisdom, he says before, it comes from above. It's given to us. Wisdom from God is not natural. It is given to us. Where does it come from? Well, James chapter 1, 5 says, listen, if you're struggling this life and you need wisdom, what do you do? Ask God and he will give it to you. You can't say, man, I just naturally come by this life. This is how he's like. No, God has to give you that wisdom when it leads to follow him. He said there's one kind of wisdom that comes from God. This is how we get it and where we get it. But there's another kind of wisdom he talks about that as well. He says, earthly. It, it's unspiritual. It's demonic. Now, 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 you might say, man, I don't have a demonic wisdom. But he's like, no, no, listen. You might have an attitude, attitude and lifestyle that, that the devil himself would give uh, endorsement for. Said, listen, I can endorse that. He, he looks Christian, he acts Christian, everyone values and respects that person, they, they follow him, but in their heart, man, I, I got the footstool I need. I got the reins. I, I can endorse that. He, he's saying this, ultimately, earthly wisdom, I think, is this. He's saying earthly wisdom is natural to us. You, you can find it anywhere. And think about it, jealousy, selfishness, what? Those come natural. These beautiful kids, they're sweet kids, you dedicated, my own kids, what, what, what's the first words they learn to say? No, mine. You take someone, they scream bloody murder. No one had to teach my kid how to slap the other kid. As far as I know, Emily and I have never done that. It comes natural to them. You take something away, they smack you across the face with a toy. Like, like, why do that? Because inside they are fallen children. They are separated from God. It is natural for us to have these things in our life. Toddlers, you don't have to teach this thing. It comes natural to them. But with the wisdom he's talking about, that this heavenly wisdom is unnatural. It's not something you can find here on earth. It's given to us from above, from God himself. God has to give it to us. And so ultimately he's talking about natural and unnatural wisdom. I go back to what? Unnatural wisdom will elicit unnatural responses. Now, you might be saying, well, how, how do I know if my wisdom is natural or unnatural? How, how can I tell? Like, if I have to look at my life, and this is what James is trying to do, to get you to look at symptoms in your life and to find out the cause of what's going on. If you have all the stuff going wrong in your life, reality, the cause is this. There, there's an issue here. So you need to look at the symptoms. So what are the symptoms he unpacks? Well, he starts with your motivation. Look at verse 16. He's saying, what motivates you? He, he says, natural wisdom, which is from earth, it's motivated by what? Jealousy. 
and selfish ambition. What's driving what you do? It was about me. Listen, don't think we're immune from it in the church. Don't think pastors are immune from it. It's not, I can't tell you how often we get together. The first question is, how's your church doing? Let me tell you about how many people are coming to my church. Let me tell you what's going on. Like, it's all about our name, our image, our likeness. We're all wanting that going on. It comes natural to us to have those sort of things. Like jealousy and selfish ambition under them, both are focused on and benefit self. There's no way you can get selfish ambition and jealousy ever to benefit another person. It's always for you. But what the unnatural he talks about is different. The unnatural, he says in verse 17, is what? It, it's pure. There is a sense of purity motivating it. There, there's something, the word pure comes from the word holy, which means to be set apart, different than the world. In other words, there, there's no agenda. There's no ulterior motives. It's just simply because. Why do I do this stuff? Just not because I'm trying to get something, not because I'm trying to, to, to not because of anything me. It's just simply because. Well, I think about his terms, he used to describe it, humility and meekness, by nature, focus on others. They, they naturally do that. I, I can't help but think, and I know some of you hate sports illustrations, but stick with me. One of the teams I loved watching growing up was the San Antonio Spurs. And the San Antonio Spurs were just an absolute dominant force in the NBA for many, many years. And people look at players like Tim Duncan or David Robinson or some of these other players, but if you really look, what I would tell you is why, why they were so great is because the other players on the team, they had a player named Manu Ginobili that played with him for 16 years. And if you don't know anything about Manu Ginobili, okay, you don't need to, but you need to understand something about this with him. He was an amazing player and could have been the best player on any player in the NBA. But he instead chose to come off the bench and be a backup, be the sixth guy, not the, not the starter, be the backup to come up. Why? Because he loved the purity of basketball. He loved the team mentality. He loved to see basketball as it was meant to be, where, listen, everyone plays a role, everyone owns their part, and it's not about me. There's a sense of this, there's a purity in the sport of I just like to see the game played as it's supposed to be played. Where you get other players that it's about me. My stats, what I've accomplished, that my face gets out there. Manager Nobly never got that. Listen, there's a sense of purity when it comes to people who are wise. That, listen, when they come to church, they do stuff. They're not, they don't have an agenda. They do it just, just because of the purity of what the gospel has done in their life. I do it because of who God is. I want to put him first. And so you have this motivation. There's characteristics you can see. Look at the natural. It says it's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. Can I just say this? Listen. If, if your wisdom doesn't look different than anything else in the world, then it's not different than anything else in the world. Anybody else can have it. Anybody else can do it. Why? Because it's naturally come to us. All of us have that. It's a natural tendency and urge. I can't help but think of a book that I had to read in, in middle school, Lord of the Flies. If you've ever read that book or remember that story, it's about these young kids who more or less get in a plane crash and they're stuck by these young kids having to survive on their own. And they begin to try to get order in their system. They begin to take over and try to create their own system, their ecosystem, how to live. But if you know anything how the story ends, at the end of the story, chaos always ensues. Chaos comes. Why? Because we are fallen and depraved people away from God, and without the help of Christ, chaos will always come about. It will always ensue. And you'll see these things crop up, these things over and over and over again. You see that come naturally to us. But yet the unnatural, what characteristics do you see that? Look at all the list of words. He says what? He says peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. These are characteristics you'll see. 
If you'll indulge me for a second, understanding the depth of some of these words, and just allow you to comprehend for yourself, think of peaceable. This word deals with the relation to others. It desires peace and actively works to bring it about. Ask yourself this question. Listen, honestly. Am I known for conflict or peace? Have I started more fires than I put out in my relationships and circles? What would others say? Because we can always think the best of ourselves, but we ask others, they go, man, I don't want them to come around because wherever they go, man, chaos ensues. What about gentle? That word gentle means gracious, considerate, kind, lenient. Let me ask you this. Do people describe my words as gentle or harsh? Do, Do people cringe when I speak? Or do I often have to apologize for what I said or how I came across? Or better yet, should I have? And I don't. Am I known to be a gentle person? Am I open to reason? That means compliant, submissive, reasonable, persuadable, considerate to others' thoughts, feeling. It implies a willingness to learn from others and to yield to others when no, more principle, when no moral principle is involved. Well, think about this. Like, would others characterize me as reasonable or stubborn? Am I viewed as teachable or as a know-it-all? Like, when was the last time I allowed someone to change my opinion or stance on something? Especially, listen, especially when I felt like I knew more than them or had a better experience on the subject. Am I reasonable? Open to reason. Am I full of mercy? That word means compassion, sympathy, empathy. Listen, when others are going through hard times, am I the person they pursue or avoid? Do I have a heart? Do I have love? Do I have compassion for those who differ with me and my views? Can, can I just rip the band-aid right off? When it came to mask versus maskless, whatever you want to say, did you have heart and sympathy and empathy for people who differ with you, or did you have hatred and frustration? When it comes to vast or anti-vax, listen, I don't care where you stand, do you have love for the people on the opposite side of the aisle and say, you know what, man, I have a heart for them? And if I started hard emotions in you, listen, man, we got tougher things we need to talk about. It talks about good fruits. This means an abundance of harvest of good deeds. If I were to ask someone who knew you decently, just vaguely knew you, and ask them to list all the good things that you do, let me ask you this, would they need a minute to think about it? I got to think about it. What would I say? Or, Or would they need a minute to tell me all the things that you do? Because there's such a thing, man. Where do I even start? I, can't, you don't, I don't got five minutes. is not enough to tell you all the good things they do. He describes it as, as, as impartial. In other words, shows no favoritism. Like, let me ask this. If I were to ask five random people who knew you in the church, and I asked them, say, who, who your friends are, would they all list the same four to six people? Or would they say, yeah, I, I'm their friend. Man, they're, they're my friend. Because you just show love and favoritism to everyone. Everyone around you feels valued and loved when they come around. Or or what about sincere? The word means genuine, without a trace of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is something that means to act. Actors would wear these masks. He's saying without this double face you put on. The actual word sincere means without wax. Ancient potters would make pottery and stuff, and sometimes they get hairline cracks and fractures in it, and so they, they would put wax in it to seal it and hide it. And, and, and so what would happen to know if you bought a good piece of pottery that would hold up, they would hold it up to a light and see if there were any cracks and any wax that had been filled in. And if there wasn't, they would stamp on the pottery, sincere to know that it is without cracks, without faults. It's such an amazing picture it paints. Like, let me ask you this. Like, listen, if, if people from your work, your church, your family, whatever, 
were, were around you in a different setting, will they be surprised by how you act, talk, behave? Would they say, I don't recognize this person in my circle? Like, like these are characteristics you see of people who truly understand and grasp. You, you see these crop up. It's not people who are smart, people who are respected, people who have been around for a long time. It's people who have these characteristics. Your, your rebuttal might be, well, even the lost world exhibits these qualities of good at times, don't they? And my answer would be yes. Yes, they do. You know why? Because God still exists. And even shadows of God still reflect off and people still mimic what they see sometimes in God. But at the same time, let me say this, imitation crab is still imitation crab. It's not the real thing. They can imitate all they want. You can pretend, smell, and taste. I mean, that sure tastes like crab. Can I tell you, it's not crab. People may mimic these things and do things you see in the world, but at the end of the day, these other things will crop up in their life. It's never the real deal. So you see a different kind of motivation. You see a different type of characteristic. You see, you see different results. What are the results you see? You see from the natural, you see chaos and conflict. You see from the unnatural, you see peace and righteousness is sown. In other words, listen, after you leave, what kind of wake is left? You know what I mean by that? When I lived on Grand Lake, we lived on Grand Lake, we had a house out there, and we decided to buy a boat. And people told us, when you buy a boat, you have to buy at least a 20-foot boat, because anything under 20 foot will get capsized out there. And we said, that's chaos. And so we'd go out there on weekends, and they'd have these huge monster yachts out there. I mean, just it's amazing the stuff they have out there. And you'd go out there on the weekend, I'm telling you, it felt like the ocean. It was the choppiest water, you're all over the place. It was crazy. Emily and I were just dumbfounded, like, man, this is just so rough, this is not even pleasant. And then we'd go out there during the week, and on the week, can I tell you something? We would put our boat right in the middle of the water, park it right there, and fall asleep in the middle of the stillest waters you could ever see. You know what it was? All of those waves, all these were wakes from those giant yachts that came by. That's all it was. It was amazing to see the power, how they stirred up all the water, just these big old ships, but yet when they were gone, listen, it was still as can be. My, my question is, when you leave behind, when you look back at what you've done and the trail you left behind, what wake is left? You see, natural wisdom, you know what kind of wake is left? You see, it says what? It says disorder and evil. Listen, chaos and conflict are in your wake wherever you go. Let me ask you this. Does this describe our church? When people come in here and they leave, like, man, that is, that is disorder at its finest. There's chaos there. Does it describe you? You want to see a real test to it? A lot of churches I've been at and a lot of ministers and people, and you guys are about to go to a church business meeting. How many wounds and hurts have come from those because people come in, my agenda, my will, and my plan, it should be a celebration, but what chaos and disorder ensue? Some of the deepest wounds happen from that. But, but versus unnatural, what happens to the unnatural, those that come from God? It says what? That those who are peacemakers, what? Will plant seeds of peace and reap what? A harvest of righteousness. In other words, when you leave a wake behind, order and goodness is in your wake. You're the guy or girl or lady that, that we want to have a bit. Why? Because you know, man, when they come, like, listen, I know things will settle down. They bring peace. They bring order. Man, there's just a sense of calm. But let me ask you, does this harmony and joy describe our church? Does it, does it describe you? I'm convicted because I, I don't know how I do in my own life. I'm afraid if I were to pull several of you, I, I probably wouldn't get the answers I want to hear. And the answer when James asked me, Eric, are you wise and understanding? My question is, Prob probably not. 
And should I be the person leading? Should I be the person, hey, follow my trail. Look, this is what wisdom, this is what grasping the Christian faith looks like. Probably not because these traits should crop up in my life. And so my tendency is you need to follow that person right there because they got it down. You might not think it, you might not look it, but I'm telling you right now, they have it down. Because unnatural wisdom elicits unnatural behavior. It does. And can I tell you something? When people see it, that they want it. They're compelled to it. They're drawn to it because they can't find it in the world. They can't get it out there. They're like, man, I want what they have. There's just something about them that, man, just draws me to what's going on. Can I encourage you? Listen, if none of this describes you, there's hope. If you're like me and say, man, I don't think I live a wise life. There's hope. So how do I get this? Well, James 1.5 says what? If you need wisdom, what do you do? Ask the Lord and he'll give it to you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You say, God, listen, I need your wisdom. I need this unnatural wisdom. Listen, but the key says what? When God gives it to you, you need to trust him to follow through with it. Man, I really want to go inside this place and really speak my mind. But there's this, there's this, there's this urge right here. Something in me is telling me to, to keep my mouth shut. I got to have wisdom in the Lord. Say, God, God you've given that. Man. I, need, I need to do what you said. God, I have my friends over here. I'd really like to go hang out with them. But I see this person over here, man, I... I I really, I feel, I said sudden urge, like I should go and make them feel loved. You know what? God's laying that wisdom in my heart. I should follow through on that. I need to trust him that, listen, good things are going to come from that. It's not natural. The question that comes to you is this, are, are you willing to ask? Are you, are you willing to ask God, honestly? And even more so, are you willing to do what he says? I'll close with this, this illustration. I, I know I've shared it before, but as I was putting this together, it, it finally made abundant sense to me. My first church I served, I served with two pastors who served side by side together. It was amazing to see two men who just loved the Lord with this extreme humility. And I remember going to a business meeting, a church meeting and stuff like that, and it was chaos and stuff. And I remember downloading with them afterwards, and I said, Larry, man, I, just, I don't get it. This, is, this doesn't seem like what church should be right here. Like, what's going on? It's just so frustrating. And, and he said to me, I know I've said this to you, but it was so probably He said, listen, at, at church, you've got, you got two kind of people. You have good people and you have godly people. Good people are just trying to do what seems right to them. It seems good to them. This would, this would make me happy, so if it makes me happy, surely it'll make them happy. Listen, it's another hidden thing of selfish ambition. It's another thing of envy. Like, listen, this is what I want. This is what He said, but godly people will always do what's best for the church and best for others. And godly people is who you want leading the church. Can I tell you something? Listen, no one comes in trying to stir up animosity and trouble stuff. They're trying to do what's good. But understand, even our good is wicked in comparison to God. Isaiah would say it like this. said, listen, your, your good deeds are like filthy rags to God. And even though it's cute and you try as best you can to do good, separate from God and the wisdom that he gives from you, listen, it's just going to make a mess. It's like my daughter who went and played in the mud pit in the backyard and she comes in, I'm like, don't walk in the house. She goes, I'll fix it, Daddy. And she's trying to rub the mud off, and she's trying to sling it off and wipe it off on the walls. Listen, as much as her intentions are good, guess what? She's making a bigger and bigger mess. The only solution what is Daddy has to come out and hose her off and make her right. And that's what the gospel's all about. It's not about what you do, what you've done, what you can do, what you, what you possibly bring to the table. You have nothing to bring to the table. It's the beauty of it. It's what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for your sins. And if you come say, God, I'm a mess. I'm going to mess this up. And he's going to say, yes, you will. But guess what? My son won't. And so if you just come and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you just trust in him, you would give your life to him. You would submit to his will and say, God, whatever you want is yours. Listen, there, there's freedom that comes in that. You don't have to be perfect. I got to go to class today and we discussed just about that. And if you, if you had one week to live, like what would you do? 
And all of us, I think, we're talking about, man, I'd do this. We'd talk about, like, hey, you know, the things that we'd want to do to try and make things right. But as I begin to process just right here, listen, if your natural tendency is trying to do more, you're, you're messing up. It's just, I just want to be with God more. God will work through me whatever he wants to do. My question, how many of you want to be wise? How many of you would like to be a person that leads well? At the end of your life, you say, listen, if people follow me, I know I'm leading them in the right direction. Then come to God and say, God, would you just give me the wisdom I need? I trust you to follow through. And look for these things to crop up in your life. And when you see weeds come out, listen, you know what you do? You pluck them before they get too big. So as I pray for you, I'm going to pray that you would just submit to that. We begin leading well. As I pray and the band comes up, we're going to have elders available. Maybe you need to respond some way. Maybe, you, maybe you're like me, you acknowledge I've been a bad role model. I've been a bad example to what it means to follow the Lord. Today, maybe you need to go and just make amends for that and say, God, I, I'm sorry. I take ownership for my actions. Maybe today you need to place your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ that I've been talking about. I encourage you to do that. And so as I pray, we're going to have elders available over here in the front. We have one in the back uh, as well. We we'd encourage you to come respond in whatever way you need to, but let us pray for you. Father God, I love you. God, I pray my words were heard uh, in love. I pray that, God, if anybody understands my voice, thinks I was talking to them, God, they, they, they're wrong. God, I'm reading my journal up here week after week. God, I'm so sorry for my envy and pride that has gotten in the way so many times in leadership and just in my family, in the church. I'm sorry for my selfish good intentions that sound good to me, but I know they're not good for others. I know they're not good for your kingdom. And so God, right now I submit that area of my life to you and I ask that you just work in my heart. And God, I know there's others in some of my voice who may be doing the same thing. God, I pray they would say the same prayer. God, help me to have a better grasp of the gospel of what you've done for me on the cross. Help me live out the wisdom you lay on my heart and quit looking around the world. God, help me to quit looking around for people to mimic in the earthly ways of the world, of what it looks like to be wise. Convict those areas of my heart and those behavioral traits that come up. Help me to give those to you. God, I pray if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that's just right now wondering whether they need to come forward, God, I pray you just challenge them just to do that. Be faithful to that. I pray for salvation today. I pray someone would come to believe in you and put their hope and trust in you. Quit trying to be good enough, but just give themselves to you. I thank you so much for the hope and the cross that you gave. Stir in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we'll have ourselves available. We got Pete over here, Grant, Grant's over here. He'd love nothing more to pray with you. JD's in the back. You, you just come and pray, but you, you respond. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophet To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in 
Pray. Hey.